Good morning again, everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome to Northridge. Whether you're here in the room and I can see you or you're online and you can see me but I can't see you, however you're here, we're just glad that you're here. This is a great day to worship God. It is Palm Sunday and uh, so this is traditionally the day when we celebrate the entrance, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that started this whole thing that we call Holy Week. And so we're glad you're here, and I want you to know this, whether this is your hundredth time or this is your very first time, this is important to you, this is a safe place for your questions. For the questions that you have about God, about Jesus, about the faith, about the Bible, uh, about your purpose in life, we all have those questions, we all have to ask those questions and answer those, and what better place to ask and answer those questions than here uh, at church. And so we're just glad that you're here. So we are starting a brand new series today, very simply called, it's a powerful word, called Modnik. Woo! Isn't that awesome? Modnik. And you have business cards that have Modnik on it because you've always wanted a business card with Modnik on it. Isn't that great? And so this is, let's be honest, this is a weird word right out of the gate. You're like, this is weird. You just called the series Modnik, and I have no idea what that is. And right away you're like, this is a weird church, right? Well, true, it is, and it's all good because it starts with the pastor and I'm weird, so you're good, right? But this word is weird, but it's not as weird when you discover, when you realize that this word is very simply the word kingdom backwards. That's all it is. It's the word kingdom backwards. And so what this series is about, we're going to have seven weeks. There are seven letters and we're going to go through each letter backwards. Yes. And we're going to go backwards through the word modnik and we're going to talk each week about a word, a letter in the word modnik. And we're going to talk about what God is doing as far as establishing a kingdom. And let me just tell you that when God is establishing this kingdom, it is going to be backwards. It's going to be upside down. It's going to be completely flipped and different than what the rest of the world is trying to establish. Completely opposite. Completely different. It is upside down. It is backwards. It is opposite and different of everything else. And so this series is all about talking about what kind of kingdom is God trying to establish here on earth and otherwise? And how can we be a part of this different kingdom, Modnik? And so today we're going to jump in and uh, we're going to start with the letter K because, again, we're working backwards through the word modnik. And so we're starting today with the letter K. Now, if you're wondering what the letter K stands for, that's awesome. You'll have to wait till the end of the message and I'll get there. All right. Yes. A lot of teases this morning. I'm sorry about that. You're like, you're telling us we have an architect, but we're not going to have a building yet. And now you're saying we're working backwards and the letter K stands for something, but I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. We'll get there. All right. We'll get there. But today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about three things that make Christianity, that make us following Jesus different than every other religion, than every other belief system, everything else, what makes following Jesus different than everything else? Because we are. A lot of people don't like to call, say that or think about it, but we are completely different in a lot of ways, but I want to talk about three main ways that make us different 
than every other belief system out there. All right? So we're going to jump right in this morning because if I don't, trust me, we'll be here too long. And you guys want to get to eat at some point today. And so let's jump right in. Number one, one of the reasons why, and these are not in priority order or anything like that, one more important than the other. They're just three things. The first one that I want to talk about that makes us different is that we believe in and we claim an empty tomb. That's important. We believe that God literally died and then rose again three days later. We believe, we worship, we celebrate an empty tomb. Yes, we're the only religion, we're the only belief system that does that. We claim an empty tomb. And let me take you to some scripture that declares this emphatically. In the New Testament, the book of Mark, he is writing about that morning Three days after Jesus was crucified, the women go to the tomb to prepare and kind of work with Jesus' body because he had died. And so they get there, and when they get to the tomb, we all have probably heard at least about the story. The stone is actually rolled away, which was their first concern. That's not good. The stone was moved. The tomb was open. And so they're kind of in shock, and then they go into the tomb, and Jesus' body is not there, but in place of his body is an angel. And I want to read for you what happened in that moment, what he says. Mark chapter 16, verse 6. This is what happens. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. I don't know about you, but if you're, if you're going in to prepare somebody's body who just died, you're going to be alarmed, right? But, so that's why he says this first. He's like, no, 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 seriously, it's okay. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's just making sure we're talking about the same person here. It's important. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. As followers of Christ, we are one of the only ones in the world that believe in an empty tomb. That Jesus not only died, but that he also defeated death and rose again. Now, you might be saying, well, why is that important? Why is it important that we have that distinction between us and everybody else? Well, the main reason is because if God didn't do that, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the grave, then he's a liar. And we should not follow him and we should not worship him. Right? If somebody is getting ready to do surgery on you and they say, so I have to admit something, I'm actually not a surgeon, I'm a soccer player, I'm just here today because I stayed in whatever that hotel was last night. Right? Remember the commercials? No, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, that's what it is, isn't it? That's a sham. How many of you stay on the table? I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm a soccer player. I do not, you do not want me operating on you. I can tell you that because I have no clue what I'm doing. If God claims that he can defeat sin and death, it's really important that he actually does it. Otherwise, he's a liar. And we're worshiping a dead, lying God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we don't worship a lying, dead God. We worship an alive, risen, amazing, in power, authority, Savior. Amen? That's a good thing. And so that is a difference between us and other faiths and other belief systems. The second thing that sets us apart is that we focus, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we focus on relationship 
overrules. Relationship is over and above rules, religiosity. A lot of people call Christianity religion. I hate that. By definition, sure, it's a faith. I I get that. But it is not a religion because what we do is religion is you have to follow the rules. So let me illustrate this. I want to take you to a verse of scripture that kind of talks about this. It's actually a scripture that I've never read before on a Sunday morning. I realized when I went to this first, I was like, I don't think I've ever even mentioned this on a Sunday morning. I've mentioned it to other people, but I've never mentioned it on a Sunday morning. It's not a verse that we hear often. My guess is you've probably heard pastors talk about this verse, but we rarely ever read it. It's found in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and it's Jesus' words to you and to me. It's it's an author writing it, but it's Jesus' direct words. He's saying these words to you. Okay, I want you to hear what Jesus says to you. Revelation 3.20, he says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Isn't that kind of a strange verse? Like, I mean, like Jesus says, okay, you're at the door, you're knocking, we're supposed to let you in, and then we're going to eat together. Like, we're going to order Buffalo Wild Wings, and we're going to watch March Madness, right? We're going to watch opening day of baseball. Like, what? this is weird. We're going to hang out and eat together? Yeah, that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, the, the, the question becomes, well, what do we learn from this verse? I want to share three really quick things. See, see how I did that? It's like a mini sermon in the sermon. I'm getting two for, you're getting two for one today. Yes, you're welcome. This is awesome. Um, so, so three things in the middle of this verse. First one is this. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. What does that tell you? It tells you something really, 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 really important. God wants you. He initiated for you. He took the first step to you. He's knocking on the door for you. God is not sitting in the recliner watching Netflix going, I hope they show up. That's not God. God is actively seeking and looking and knocking and pounding on the door and saying, hey, I'm out here, I'm ready, let's do this. God initiates the relationship with you. But then what does it say, the next part of that verse? Let's read it. If you hear my voice, Jesus says, and open the door, I will come in. This tells you two really, really important things. He says, if you open the door, he will come in. In other words, God promises if you open your heart, if you trust in him, if you choose to believe in Jesus, he will start a relationship with you. It's not like a threat. (laughs) It's a promise. But then I want you to know something really important about this verse, and that is this. Jesus knocks, but who opens the door? Notice what Jesus says. If you hear my voice. If you open the door. Could God pound the door in? Could he just bust right through it? Absolutely, he could. But what Jesus is saying in this verse is, I'm knocking. I hope you open it, because I'm here. You have the decision, you have the choice to make of whether or not 
to start a relationship with God. It's your choice. It's up to you. God gives you that decision. He's knocking. He's letting you know he's there. But I don't know about you, but sometimes we treat Jesus kind of like we treat somebody else who's there with a clipboard ready to sell solar panels or whatever. I'm like, I don't know what you're selling. No, thank you. I don't know. Has anybody ever done this? I've, I've gone into the basement bathroom so that, number one, they can't see me, and number two, I can say I was in the bathroom. Anybody else ever done that? I'm, I, maybe I'm weird. That's, what I, that's how I think. I'm like, I don't, sometimes I deal with them and I'm just like, no, no, thank you. Thanks for coming. I love you. Great. Jesus loves you. Come to our church. But no, I'm not, we don't, I don't want to buy anything. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that, but I thought that, you know. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, sometimes we treat that Jesus like that. We're like, we know he's knocking. We're like, no, I just, I, no, I just don't want to do that. We have the choice. And then the third thing that says in that verse, it says, and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus says this. Now, let me ask you this. Why is this important? This is important because of this. Let me ask you this. If you invite somebody over to your house to eat together, to have a meal together, what is probably almost always true about those people? What is true about that? You have some sort of relationship with them, right? I don't know about you, but I don't like watch the neighborhood and be like, you, what's your name? Cool. You want to have some food? Okay, number one, they're going to run because they're going to be like, I don't know what he wants to do to me, but it's not going to be good, right? Like, he's too eager. Uh, two, we just don't do that. If when we invite somebody into our home, if we let them into the door to have a meal with us, it means we have some sort of relationship with them. What this says is that rules, sure they matter, but the relationship is far more important. Rules matter, but the relationship is far more important. Let me try to illustrate this. If we live just by religiosity, I'm supposed to go to church, I'm I'm supposed to not sin, I'm supposed to do all these things. If we live only by rules out of duty because we're supposed to, that's different than doing it because you want to and you should and it's a desire thing, right? Let me illustrate this. Let's say that Valentine's Day rolls around and I get my wife uh, just an amazing gift, or it's her birthday, and I buy her flowers, or, you know, I, I commit every day to saying I love you, and, you know, all those kind of things. If I do those things, but the reason I'm doing them is because I feel like I have to, out of duty, and because I just want to make sure that she keeps making me dinner at night. How many of you would say, yeah, that's totally the right way to go? You should do it out of just duty. Make sure she doesn't stop cooking for you. Does that feel right? No, it doesn't. And yet, when it comes to religion, we do things purely out of duty. That's not what God wants. He said, in fact, you know what God says? He says this about giving, like generosity, tithing and things like that. He said, if you're just doing this purely out of duty, you don't actually want to, you hate doing it, then just don't do it. Because I, I, I'm, I'm really not good with lukewarmness. 
God speaks against the whole thing. Now, are rules important? Sure. Should I be faithful to my spouse? Should I just forget? Should, should I go the other route and be like, you know what? I don't care if it's Valentine's Day or anything else. I love you. I know it. You know that. I'm not going to do anything because I don't, I don't want to do this out of duty. Well, what should I do? I should do all those things because I genuinely care about my wife and I love her and it's a relationship that I care about and so I should do it because of that. That's the same way it should be with God. We do it out of desire to have this intense and deep and real relationship. Instead of happy wife, happy life. I've said that before. I know. We joke. Ha ha. Happy wife, happy life. Right? No, but we joke and we laugh because it's like, uh, there's a little truth in that, right? And so we, we follow the rules just because, and, oh, by the way, here's another side of that. Oh, man, we're, yeah, this is fun. If, if I do these things just so that, because I know Laura would get mad if I didn't, to appease my wife, oh, no. You realize that most religions, they follow religious rules so that they can appease the gods. It's not what God wants. He doesn't want to be appeased. He wants you to know that he loves you intensely and compassionately and dearly more than anything in this world. And so he wants you to be in relationship with him. He already knows you. He wants you to know him, to understand his heart. He doesn't want to be appeased. God does not need to be appeased. He's good. And so that sets us apart that we elevate relationship over rules. Now, I'm going to give you, each one of these weeks, I'm going to give you a live different challenge. And so here's your live different challenge for this week. And I'm going to give you this challenge in the form of a question. What is one thing, what is something tangible, practical that you can do this week, starting this week, starting today, that will help remind you that God wants a relationship with you every day? What could you do? For example, could you take your Bible and lay it open somewhere, wherever you have your routine, wherever you eat breakfast, wherever you work out in the morning, um, wherever, wherever you sleep at night or whatever. Maybe you set the Bible open next to your bed, and that's the first thing. And, and having the Bible open, this is why, because when you see the Bible open, I don't know about you, but there are some, I'll leave the Bible open a lot. And, and what, what it's hard to do is when I don't feel like reading the Bible, can I admit to you as a pastor, sometimes I don't feel like reading the Bible. I'm just being honest with you. It's true. I have those days too, so I get it. There's sometimes that I, and sometimes I just don't want to take the time, but honestly, more often than not, I don't know that I want to hear what God has to say to me that day. Can I tell you this? When the Bible is laying open, it is really hard to ignore. Can you put this open somewhere? And some of you are going to have to find your Bible now at home. Let's be honest, like you put it on a shelf some time ago when you moved into whatever you moved into, and it's been there since. I, I talk to people, and they, they're like, yeah, I, I think our Bible is sitting there. We'd have to dust it off. And I'm like, I hear you. It's cool. What if you dusted that thing off, and you put it open, and you just read a little bit of it each day? Reminded you that God wants a relationship with you. 
Maybe you could print some verses and put it on your mirror. Maybe you can put it in your car. Maybe you can put some up at work, maybe on your computer or, or in your desk or something like that when you pull out the drawer. And there's a scripture that is encouraging and helpful. And it reminds you that, that God wants a relationship with you. Maybe you commit to having coffee with somebody else who's a follower of Christ. And, and you're not getting together just to socialize, but you're getting together to talk about your faith and, and talk about how to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Whatever it is, maybe you join a life group at Northridge. And that, that let me tell you, that'll put it in there because we talk about who God is and how we walk this life and pray for each other. May, I don't know what it is, but what can you do to remind yourself on a daily basis that God wants a relationship with you? That's my challenge to you for this week. Live different. Live different. If you, if you want the same things you've always gotten, keep doing the same things. But if you want something better and you want something different, do something different. Live different. All right, so let's get to the third one. You guys thought I was going through the three things pretty fast. You're like, whoa, we're doing good. Well, uh, I'm just getting started here. We're, we're rolling. Number three. The third thing that sets us apart, and this is kind of the big one. As followers of Christ, we emphasize being forgiven over earned. We, we associate, we emphasize being forgiven versus earning your salvation. You cannot, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but you cannot do anything to earn your salvation from sin. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't be good enough. There's no way. You can't be good enough to earn your salvation. But the good news is, you don't have to earn it. Because God already took care of it for you. In fact, what this tells us is we are the only faith, we are the only belief system, the only religion that says God took that first step. God raced toward you before you ever gave him a thought. We're the only faith that believes that God ran to us before we ever gave him the time of day. And you guys know I quote this verse all the time. Romans 5.8 says this. It says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God chose you before you chose him. That's important, isn't it? I think it is. If I coerce somebody to be my friend, I'm like, it's, it never feels right. Right? But when they choose you first and all you have to do is accept it, that's huge. God took the first step, and that leads us to the word today, modnik. And as I said, we're going to start working our way backwards up through the uh, up through the word. And so we have the word modnik, and then the first letter is the letter K. What does the letter K stand for? Well, it tells us what it stands for for today. The fact that God took the first step, and the big first step. What did He take? It stands for king on a cross. Stands for king on a cross. And let me just ask you this. What kind of a king would give up his throne to suffer and die for his subjects, for the people in his kingdom? A king on a cross. Jesus is a king on a cross. So today is Palm Sunday, 
And it's the day that we traditionally celebrate the fact that Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and the people were waving palm branches celebrating the fact that Jesus had arrived in the city, right? That's what, that's what we celebrate today. And so we celebrate this on Palm Sunday. But the interesting thing is that, think about this, we don't always think about this, Jesus was intentionally going into the city where he knew all the people that would call for him to be crucified were at. He willingly went into the city where the problem was going to occur. He willingly went into the city, addressed the city, and went into the city where he knew he was going to be crucified just a few days later. He went in there on purpose. He knew. Nobody else knew what was going to happen. Nobody else on the planet knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew, and he intentionally went into the city of Jerusalem. In fact, I want to read for you what it says in Luke 9.51. I've read this verse so many times that I've never really realized what it meant. Listen to what it says. It says, As the time drew near for him, Jesus, to ascend to heaven, to die, resurrect, ascend to heaven, that time, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus was resolute. I am going to Jerusalem because I have to die for the sins of everyone. Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is a different kind of king. He's one that serves. He humbly gives himself for you. And by the way, you guys know what Jesus rode in on when he entered Jerusalem, when he made this grand entrance? He didn't come in on a stallion, on this amazing, beautiful, awesome horse, right? He, you guys know what he came in on, right? I, I, how, how many of you would, if you wanted to make an entrance in front of all your friends and in front of all of Wanakee, how many of you would be like, you know what? I'm going to grab my minivan <laughs> because I'm going to make a statement of who I am. Listen to this thing purr. I don't know about you, but our minivan most of the time sounds like a moped. <laughs> Listen to that power. All both horses in that engine. <laughs> Jesus chose a donkey. <laughs> How many of you are like, yeah, I want to I ride in on a donkey. It's going to be awesome. Why did Jesus choose that? Because he's a different kind of king. Because he didn't come to show off. Because he didn't come to prove his power. He came to humbly serve you and me and sacrifice himself for us. He's not a king on a throne. He's a king on a cross. That's a different kind of king. We're the only ones that claim that. So at the end of the week, Jesus enters triumphantly on Palm Sunday, but then a few days later, we all know, Thursday night, he's arrested. Trumped up charges, false charges, weren't true, but he accepted them. The next day, he's put on trial. They find him guilty, even though he wasn't completely innocent. And then they, the, uh, the people turned him over completely to the Roman authorities. And we understand the Romans, like we've heard of the Roman Empire, but let me just tell you, the Romans, and remember, I was a history teacher, so I got into this, when I, and I taught high school, so I was able to get into this. But the Romans were brutal. They were brutal. When they punished somebody by crucifixion, they didn't just punish them 
in crucifixion. They punished them before the crucifixion. And so they were, Jesus was handed over to the Roman authorities, and what they would do, and I'm not going to go into great detail here because it, it, would, be, it would be hard to hear. But I will tell you this, without getting too gory. What they would do to people before they were crucified is they would, they would strip them naked, and then they would take their arms, and they would wrap their body around a stone or wooden pillar, and then they would, bind, they would bind their hands so they couldn't move, so that their back was bent over this. And then they would take something called a flagrum. A flagrum was a whip. A whip that had leather tines in it. And some of them were longer, some of them were shorter. And then they would have lead balls and metal and bone kind of attached in the, the leather straps. And then the soldier would step back. And if they had the long ones, they had like ones that are six feet long, and sometimes they had them that were just a couple feet long. But either way, they were the same. And the soldier would lean back, and then he would lean into it, and he would slam down on their back and pull down. Until you could see everything inside. I know we don't like to talk about this, guys, but it's important to understand what Jesus did for you. There's a historian, he's not a Christian, his name is Josephus. He just recorded events of that time period. And he said when Jesus was done being whipped by the, by the, the Romans, by the flagrum, he was unrecognizable. Couldn't even tell that it was Jesus. That's how bad it was. And then, of course, they forced him to carry the cross with all of those wounds and then nailed him to the cross. So a lot of you have, you know this. Mel Gibson made a movie, made a film about this many years ago called The Passion of the Christ. And, uh, and Mel Gibson was adamant. He did not want his face in the movie at all. He just didn't feel worthy to, to have his face anywhere in the film. And so he, he agreed that he was adamant about that. And so he wasn't. But there's one section, I didn't even know this, I just found this out this week. Uh, there's one section where Mel Gibson is in, actually in the film. But all you see are his two hands. His one hand, when they show the scene, when they zoom in and show the scene where they're getting ready to spike through the, through the hand, and the other hand is his right hand holding the hammer that comes down. In other words, this is Mel Gibson's one hand and this is his other hand. And Mel Gibson wanted to do that to remind himself in a very powerful way that it was his sin that put Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says this. It says, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. See, what God does is Jesus is a king who invites you into a kingdom and there's a huge price of admission. It's your life. But here's the thing. Here's what's awesome about Jesus. 
Jesus is the king, and the price of admission is the, the cost of your life. And instead of you paying the cost to get into the kingdom, Jesus stepped off his throne and paid the price so that you could have admission into the kingdom. He's a different kind of king. He's a king on a cross. And so the question becomes for all of us, the most important question there is, what do you do with that? Will you accept the most amazing, powerful sacrifice that has ever been paid for you? King on a cross. Are you willing to accept, to put your hope and your trust and your belief in Jesus who died in your place? And if you want to do that, it is very simple and easy to do that. There's no theatrics involved. All you have to do is simply believe in all the things that I just talked about today. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. That he rose from the grave three days later. That he defeated sin and death on your behalf. And all you have to do is believe it and commit your life to it. He's at the door. He's knocking. The question is, will you open it? In a moment, I'm going to pray and give you that opportunity if you want to do that. But I want to leave you with this. Have you put your hope and your trust in a different kind of king, a king on a cross? I hope that you will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I feel so completely unworthy of standing here and sharing about the most amazing sacrifice that you ever paid for us. You died in my place. You died in our place so that we could have admission into the kingdom. And so maybe there are a few people here who they have been to church before, they have seen a Bible before, but maybe they've never opened the door to you. Every person, maybe their family has opened the door, maybe some of their friends have opened the door, but maybe, no, maybe they have not opened the door. They, every one of us has to open that door of life, our life, the, the door that controls how we view life and how the decisions are made. and all the, We have to open that door to allow you to come in. You're there. You're knocking. We know you're there. We hear your voice. But, but maybe there are some here who have never opened that door. They've never put their hope and trust in you. So I pray that in this moment, they would simply pray something along these lines. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. Today, I commit to you, Jesus. 
God, we celebrate with all those who give their life to you. And maybe there's others in here who they have given, they give their life to you maybe a long time ago, or they've, been, they've believed in you for quite some time, but maybe they forgot the, the power or the intensity of the sacrifice that you paid for them. And so maybe they've lost some of that passion. They've lost some of that, that excitement and that intensity in their faith. They, they, maybe they've elevated rules over the relationship with you. And so God, remind us again today that you love us, that you died for us, and that the most, the biggest thing that you want is to have a relationship with us. Show us again that you're a different king, that you're a king on a cross for us. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So there's no better